I wonder if you've had any mountaintop experiences lately, any times where things just seem to finally come together in your life, where you accomplished a goal that you've been working on for some period of time, or you had some sort of major life accomplishment or achievement where uh, you felt like you were just on top of the world. I'm picturing those uh, motivational posters you used to see in offices where someone's standing on top of a mountain with their arms raised, or I'm just thinking of like scrolling through someone's Instagram feed and seeing the things that they choose to post about their lives. Those things, those times in our lives are wonderful experiences that seem a little too far apart to really be able to count on them. Most of our lives are not spent at the top of the mountain, but somewhere on our way up. And sometimes when we live our lives just waiting for those wonderful experiences, just hoping that everything's finally going to come together, it can make the rest of life really difficult. One reason I'm sharing this with you today is I've realized recently in my own life that this has been a fairly consistent pattern in my walk with Christ, that I was looking for mountaintop experiences, that if I would go to the right camp or the right conference or hear the right sermon or do the right mission trip or act of service, I would be filled with this experience of joy and meaning and purpose, like I was on top of a mountain. And then I would just be looking for the next time when that was going to happen. But it became really hard to live in the valleys of life. Today we're looking at a story where Jesus ascends a mountain, where everything seems to come together, and we rejoice that that happens. But what Luke goes out of his way to tell us in this story is that Jesus isn't just on the mountain, but Jesus is also in the valleys. And he gives us a faith that helps us to know that whether we're in the mountain or whether we're in the valley, Jesus is the kind of God that is there with us. He is not just the God of the mountains, but he is also the God of the valleys. Jesus, in all of his ministry, has been heading toward Jerusalem, the capital city, the holiest city on earth geographically, the one that is the most important religious city on the entire planet. In all of Jesus' life and ministry, has been heading toward this city. Jesus has told his disciples multiple times, I am going to Jerusalem. And now it's finally going to happen. His final trip to Jerusalem starts out in Jericho. Jericho happens to be one of the lowest places in the, on the entire planet. It is right on the shores of the Dead Sea, almost a thousand feet below sea level. Jesus is going from one of the lowest places geographically to one of the highest places spiritually. It's about a 30-mile journey. I'm not sure how long it would have taken Jesus to make that journey, but uh, he is uh, 
accustomed to it. He's, he's, he's in good shape. Those of us, most of us would be absolutely winded, but uh, Jesus walked his entire life. He never seemed to be in much of a hurry, and so he was able to make this journey and bring his disciples along with him. And just as he gets uh, close to Jerusalem, there's actually a mountain that's a little bit higher than Mount Zion that Jerusalem is on, and it's called the Mount of Olives, or the, as Luke calls it, the Mount called Olivet. And uh, this is the mountain that you'd actually see coming from Jericho as you walk toward Jerusalem. And on the east side of that mountain, there are two villages. One we know, Bethany, we know that. And then apparently one of the towns next to it was called Bethphage or Beth, Bethphage or something like that. We never, we don't know how to pronounce it because we don't say it enough. So uh, that, yeah, it was French. I don't know how that come out. Um, there are these villages on the other side. And as Jesus approaches those villages, he tells the disciples to go in and to find a colt for him to ride on. And he gives them some very ambiguous instructions. Luke 19, verse 30. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You say, the Lord has need of it. And so this is all the instructions that he gives his two disciples. They go into the village. There's the colt. There happen to be some people there who are presumably the owners of it. And so they know Jesus has given them this sign. And so they just say, the Lord has need of it. And they say, okay, you can take it. Now, we don't know if Jesus prearranged it, like it's a password that you use when you go, or if Jesus supernaturally uh, arranged all of this so that uh, he had never been there, but just he knew that this was exactly the way it's going to be. Luke doesn't tell us. The point that he's making here is that Jesus is Lord over everything. That Jesus knows exactly the way that things are going to happen. All of these things are happening according to Jesus' plan. He says, it says in verse, um, verse 32, So those who were sent away and, and those were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. Jesus Christ is Lord over all things. He's orchestrating this entire trip. And his disciples are there. They're watching this happen. And the anticipation is starting to build as he approaches the city of Jerusalem. I've quoted this a few times, Abraham Kuyper, he was a a philosopher, theologian, famously said that there is no square inch of our entire human existence over which Jesus, who is sovereign over all things, does not cry, mine. There is nothing that happens outside of his plan. There is nothing that can interrupt or contradict his will, Jesus Christ is fully in control of all things. And as Jesus uh, ascends uh, the Mount of Olives, he looks down, he sees the Kidron Valley there, and then it's just a little trip back up to Jerusalem. 
he starts going down the mountain and Jerusalem is in view and all of the people who are with him start to erupt in praise. It says in verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They had spread their uh, coats there on the, on the path leading down the mountain, and now all of them were lining the path, and they were all praising God. You could hear it in the surrounding villages, these people with their incredible enthusiasm for this one who had done so much for them. Luke tells us that they're praising Jesus for the mighty works or the miracles that they had seen. Maybe Jesus had opened their eyes. They had been blind their entire lives, and now they could see. Maybe they weren't able to walk, and Jesus had healed them, and now they were jumping with joy. Maybe they had relatives that had experienced the healing power of Jesus. Maybe they had even been raised from the dead, like Lazarus. All of these people had seen the mighty works of God through Jesus Christ, and they are rejoicing and praising him. Now, those times feel like mountaintop experiences. When God shows up in your life and you see an answer to prayer that you have been praying for a long time, it feels amazing. Like everything has finally come together. Your desires in life are aligned with God's desires and will for your life. And you are there on top of the mountain. And all of these people, according to Luke, are there because Jesus has somehow brought them this mountaintop experience. Now, Jesus knows what's going to happen when he goes down into the valley and eventually enters into Jerusalem. He knows that these people don't have the full picture of who he is and what he's going to do. And yet he allows them to worship him. Even when people try to stop them from worshiping him, Jesus says in verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? If, those, uh, if that crowd hadn't showed up on that day, if that crowd hadn't been there to worship Jesus, that there would be rocks on the ground that would start trembling, that there would be tremors and there would be cracks and there would be worship coming up from the very ground to worship Jesus. I'm glad that those people were there today. (laughs) I'm glad that we are here today. Imagine if there weren't Christians in Marblehead gathered together in various places to worship the risen king. What might happen if the rocks shake? You better come to the sunrise service next Sunday, because who knows? There probably won't be an earthquake, but, you know, just maybe show up. Jesus is saying from the very depths of the earth that there is going to be worship that rises up. And so he gives us this invitation to join him in this worship. He is the sovereign king of the universe who is worshipped by all of creation. I read a preacher who described this event like a flash going off in a dark room. 
says, imagine you're in a room, the lights are dim, your, your eyes have kind of adjusted to the light, but you can't fully make out everything that's in the room. And then someone takes a camera and they take a picture and the flash goes off. And for one brief moment, you're able to see everyone and everything in the room. You get a picture of the way that life really is. Throughout Jesus' ministry, People would try to worship him. People would try to tell others about him. And there were times where Jesus would kind of say, just tone it down. Just maybe, maybe just, you know, chill out a little bit. You don't have to go out and, and be so enthusiastic about that. Because Jesus knew that they didn't have the full picture of who he was. Once he was crucified and resurrected, once the Holy Spirit came, then he's like, yeah, go for it. Now it's time to go tell everyone. But he didn't want to, to get things built up too much before it was fully revealed who he was. But for what, this one brief, amazing moment, the lights turn on and you get this opportunity to see Jesus, not just a good teacher, Not just a kind person, not just a moral man, but the actual sovereign God of the universe who all of creation will one day erupt in worship. That happens as Jesus is heading down this mountain uh, toward Jerusalem. And it feels like everything is right, that Jesus has orchestrated all of this so people could fully see his glory. But if you look closer at the picture, the way that Luke describes it, everything doesn't feel exactly right. There are things that seem kind of off in the picture. For, un- for one thing, the, the animal that Jesus rides is a colt. It isn't a fully grown animal. And now he says it's one that no one has ever ridden on, which is a way of saying it's fit for a king. And yet it's still a young animal. Jesus might have looked a little silly sitting on this little donkey riding down this mountain into Jerusalem, his feet almost scraping the ground. Another thing is that Jesus doesn't mention, or Luke doesn't mention the palms that the other Gospels mention. Instead, he just mentions that people take off their coats, they put them on the donkey, and they put them on the road. Uh, We wouldn't call this Palm Sunday if we only had Luke's Gospel to go on. So really, it's just a bunch of discarded clothing that Jesus is trampling on as he walks down this mountain, as he rides down this mountain. And then you have the Pharisees who are trying to stop the disciples from joy, from praising him, from worshiping him. So you get a sense that not everybody's celebrating, not everyone's there for this incredible party. But then Luke tells us the thing that shows us that everything is not exactly right, is that Jesus starts weeping. In verse 41, when he drew near and saw the city... He wept over it. Jesus breaks down crying. It doesn't just say that, you know, some tears started coming down his eyes. It's that he is grieving. He's weeping. He's wailing out in a way that other people are actually able to see the pain 
and the grief that he is feeling in this moment. When Jesus looks at Jerusalem, he grieves over the pain that they themselves are going to experience because he knows that not everyone recognizes the purpose for his visit. He comes riding peacefully on a donkey to bring peace to Jerusalem, the city of peace. But there are people who cannot understand that, who cannot accept that, who do not want to accept that. And those are primarily the leaders of the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish authorities. We read in verse 47, he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. What Luke is telling us is that those that have exalted positions, those that are in positions of authority, that have achieved different, uh, a certain amount of status in their lives, they aren't at all excited about this king who is finally arriving at the capital city. They are the ones who oppose him. They are the ones who reject him. They are the ones who eventually destroy them, destroy him. And while Jesus knows that he's being rejected by them, while Jesus knows that he will eventually be crucified by them, Jesus is not resentful or angry, but instead he weeps. He weeps over the, what is going to be the consequence of their failure to recognize the time of their visitation. He describes the city of Jerusalem being surrounded on all sides. He uh, describes it then in verse 44 being torn down to the ground and the inhabitants of the city being torn down with it. Jesus describes an event that happens less than 40 years after he was crucified. With such detail and accuracy that those who don't believe that Jesus is divine will say that these words were added by the apostles after this happened to Jerusalem. But those who believe that Jesus really is the Son of God know that he can predict, the, that he knows what's going to happen in the future, that he is fully in control. And in 70 AD, just as Jesus describes, the Roman armies come down and surround Jerusalem. They block off access in or out of the city Eventually, they besiege, they, they enter into the city, and they tear down this massive, powerful city, this fortress that seems so secure. The walls in the temple are torn down to the ground with very few stones left on top of another. And Jesus says this happens at the end of verse 44, because you did not know the time of your visitation. They did not recognize that this indeed was a royal visit because Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they were looking for. They wanted a king who who rode on a stallion, a king who had powerful soldiers with him, a king who could come into the city, could go right up to the palace and could take it back for for the country. And for God, they wanted a king who was 
powerful and mighty and would overthrow their enemies, not one who is going to ride on a donkey and weep over the city. The people on top of the mountain wanted a mighty king. But the people that Jesus had brought up there with him and the people that he would save when he got down to the bottom of the mountain are the kind of humble, desperate people that recognize that they need a savior who comes in peace. Luke tells us that when Jesus gets down through the valley and back up into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and he clears out those who are in there selling. Now you have a picture of Jesus going in there with whips and throwing over tables, this one flash of anger that you, uh, that you so rarely see and so unexpected in Jesus. But Luke doesn't tell us about any of that because he doesn't want us to get distracted by that. He wants us to know that what Jesus is ultimately doing is not making a scene in the temple to draw attention to himself, but so that his people can have access to God. In verse 46, he says, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus wants the temple in Jerusalem to be a place where people can pray where people could enter into the presence of God. And Luke tells us that Jesus does this uh, not in an overly dramatic way, but he does it in a way that those who are seeking God will actually end up finding him. Verse 47, we read, he was teaching daily in the temple. And then verse 48, all the people were hanging on his words. Those people who recognize their need for a savior. Those people who are humble enough to acknowledge that they cannot save themselves are the kind of people that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem to bring salvation for. In the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, you see angels announcing Jesus' birth and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And then you see his parents bring Jesus into the temple. You hear songs sung about Jesus. And in one of those songs, we learn that because of Jesus' life, those who are high and lofty are going to be humbled, but those who are humbled are going to be exalted. Jesus Christ is the exalted king of the universe. There will be a day when all of creation worships him. He enters into Jerusalem in a way that shows us that he did not come for the high and exalted ones, but he came for those who were humble and needy, who desperately knew that they needed a savior. One criticism I read recently of uh, the Passion of the Christ, which I think there's some helpful things about that particular movie, but, uh, you know, there's maybe a reason that Jesus was not crucified in a time that we had video cameras. There's a scene there where Jesus is being whipped by the soldiers, and he looks like he has nothing left. But then Jesus stands up, and he boldly faces the soldiers. He puffs out his chest like he's some sort of warrior. And that's the kind of Savior that so many of us 
think that we need. We want someone who's so bold and brave and strong. We want someone who inspires and encourages us. And Jesus is all of those things. But Jesus is also a humble savior. One who is willing to weep over Jerusalem. One who couldn't even stand in the Garden of Gethsemane, overwhelmed by the weight of all that he was about to face on the cross. The scriptures give us a very clear picture of a Jesus who was fully God and yet also fully human. And someone who isn't just the God of those who are able to climb mountains and have success in their lives, but those who often are, find themselves walking through the valleys. One thing I've learned about having a God of the mountaintops is that you, we end up so often using God for our own purposes. We think that God is just there for us when we answer to, he's just there for us to answer our prayers. And if he doesn't answer our prayers, we feel like he has some way forsaken us. And we're just trying to get back there. But if you meet God in the valley, as they will say in recovery, when you have hit rock bottom, then you have a God who is going to be with you all of the time. You realize that he's a God that doesn't need you. That you don't have to do anything to perform for him or make him want to be with you. If you know that God is with you at the very lowest point of your life, you have a God who is always going to be with you no matter what you do. This is our Jesus, the exalted king of the universe, who meets each and every one of us the very lowest point in our lives and walks with us every step of the way. Thanks be to God. One way we remember uh, who Jesus is is by sharing the ancient words of the creed and reciting